the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel, uh, your favorite guest host. I write for AZ Central. I am the editor at ricochet.com and also host a podcast called The King of Stuff. People are wondering how on earth I got that ridiculous name. I'll tell you that after our next guest. Uh, very happy to have on uh, one of the best newer voices uh, talking about politics and culture. His name is Spencer Cleveland. Spencer Cleveland, excuse me. Sorry, I'm uh, still trying to swallow my last sip of coffee there. He's the associate editor of the Claremont Review of Books and the American Mind, and he's also the host of a fantastic podcast you need to subscribe to, Young Heretics. Welcome, Spencer. John, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you bet. Um, really enjoy listening not only to the Young Heretics podcast, but also the American Mind podcast. Just a really different take on the political scene. And I just think, you know, I'm here in Arizona, you're in California, and I just think being way outside of that whole beltway, you know, Trump always calls it the swamp, but it's just like this conventional wisdom vortex where everybody who spends a couple years there thinks the exact same. I don't care if you have an R or D after your name. Everything has to go through Washington. Yep. Everything needs to, you know, follow the conventional wisdom. That's what we're seeing with Biden's new cabinet. It's just these retreads who have been in politics forever and have not had an original idea since they were maybe three years old. So do you think just living far outside of that gross area, sorry, everybody in D.C. if you're listening online, but I, I just can't handle that city. Do you think living so far outside of it, it just gives you a different perspective? Oh, it's absolutely true. And the most important thing, I think, about what you said is that it doesn't really actually matter whether your particular flavor of Beltway consensus is Republican-flavored or Democrat-flavored. Now, of course, I think people should vote for Republicans. That's, you know, what I believe will at least get us moving the ball in the right direction. But one of the things that was so exciting about the Trump phenomenon once we got over that he was a little uncouth and kind of brash once we got over that, you know, we realized that he was actually representing a whole perspective on the country and on the last several decades that had simply not had any voice in politics. And now I think we're still seeing that. And Republicans especially really need to take note. There's this working class, multiracial, you know, hugely broad demographically. There's this new coalition emerging. And you know what? The, the fact is not all of them did vote for Trump this time around. But the questions that are on the table for us right now, I think, are go so much deeper than just this or that, you know, political battle, even though, of course, you know, presidential elections are a big deal. But really, you know, the stuff that we're facing up against among the elites is like, what is man, right? Is there, you know, are men men and women women? Is there such a thing as, you know, a god? Or is there anything beyond just matter and liberty? 
living in the pod and eating the bugs and getting your protein, <laughs> right? I mean, like, and, and, and when people, you know, coronavirus has, has really revealed this, I think, that, you know, there are people who believe that you should take reasonable precautions, but that there is more to life than just staying alive. And there are people who don't really believe in that. They just believe that life is all, you know, one big, you know, stream of atoms bouncing off one another, and there's nothing more to life than staying alive. And right now, we're seeing people on, in, this, in this second round of lockdown. I'm watching people here in L.A. where they're doing ridiculous stuff based on no scientific evidence, like closing down outdoor dining. I'm seeing people start to get fed up who would never have been fed up before, the truly, truly radicalized, sensible, working-class people who, you know, maybe have never voted red in their life, but there's a huge opportunity for Republicans right now to become the voice of this more sort of down-to-earth, realistic group of, of folks who are not Beltway folks. Yeah, and I think, too, you saw that with the voting results, especially. It was very prominent yeah. in Florida, but around the country with him significantly increasing his vote totals among African Americans and Latinos, especially males, because it, he didn't do it by yep. wearing, a, you know, posting a black Instagram photo saying Black Lives <laughs> Matter. He did it by being real and saying, hey, instead of doing that, why don't I get you a job? Exactly. <laughs> this, no Republican exactly. had I mean, considered such a radical idea as, hey, why don't I do a good job and they might vote for me? And he went and he spoke to the black community and he listened to their concerns and, and explained why the values of, you know, the, the average sensible person are better reflected by, you know, voting Republican than voting Democrat. Nobody, you know, nobody thinks to do that, as you say. And, you know, I always say my, my refuge from coronavirus rage, my outlet for lockdown <laughs> rage, is I have this this outdoor gym kind of in the middle of nowhere. I won't say where it is. You don't want to get shut down. But, it's, uh, but I'm, look, I'm the only white person. I mean, truly, you know, it's, I, and it, it's turning me. Latino supremacist, not because, <laughs> <laughs> not not because you know everybody there is voting. Right, I don't know how they're voting. It's just that there is so much more good sense and sanity, you know, the, on the in the guy at the bench press next to me than I see on any time I log on to Twitter. And there's there's so much work that we can do about you know actually considering that you know maybe we can go out and make the case in these communities that. Republican principles, and, and really it's conservative and Americanist principles, constitutionalist principles, are what will lift everybody out of poverty, are what will give people hope and, and a voice, you know, for, you know, and dignity for an individual who, you know, is not just going to languish on a UBI, but is going to actually do and raise a family, stuff that, you know, folks still in America want to do, despite decades, decades of elite ruling class efforts to scoop the brains of the American people out with a melon baller, you know, from the <laughs> universities to the major, uh, the mainstream media to just every, you know, credentialed PhD out there trying to sell these ridiculous ideas about systemic racism and, you know, radical transgenderism and just all these things that don't square at all with the evidence of one's own eyes. Despite all of that, the American people actually remain remarkably sensible, and there's a lot for us to capitalize on in that. Yeah, and I think these are the voices that were never represented before that Trump yep. brought out. And again, kind of like you, when I run my errands, I go get a haircut. We're still allowed to do that in Arizona. <laughs> Thank you, Governor Ducey. But um, yep. when I do stuff like that, I never bring up politics. 
but they bring it up to me. They're like, so, you know, they kind of do this gentle prodding to find out if it's safe to say these lockdowns are ridiculous, these mask mandates yep. are ridiculous. And yeah, I don't care if they it's it doesn't matter race, gender, uh economic background. These are fantastic working class, hard working people all over the country and definitely all over my neighborhood and my city, you know, all around who are saying, This is insane. We need to stop oh, this. Yeah. And the vast majority of Americans are in agreement with this, but this the former gatekeepers of our betters in Manhattan and DC they they just want to tell you that no you're completely alone you're crazy if you don't think the exact way that we tell you to well I, what you said is really important about giving people permission and there's a million different little ways that you can do it a nod a smile there's some you know drop some hint that you are you know of this on the same team and suddenly people feel like you're not going to jump down their throats if they admit that actually right. they're not in favor of endless lockdowns or unfettered immigration or you know no rules and you know it, it happens when you're driving in your uber right you talk to your uber driver and you can kind of play this dance play this game right and and something you know that i have i think discovered as i've been doing this this podcast that you mentioned, which is about, you know, it's about highbrow stuff. It's about the great works of the West and just kind of delivering them without apology as, as wonderful, you know, elements of cultural heritage is, you know, a part of what I'm saying sounds kind of anti-elitist, right? You know, it sounds like I'm doing this populist thing about, well, you know, kick out all the PhDs and tear the universities down. And I'm kind of on that train. But the thing about it is, as any good classicist knows, you know, in a republic, you're going to have an elite because you're going to have people rising to the top and, you know, using their God-given skills to succeed and excel. The problem isn't that we have an elite at all. The problem is that our elite has become this cronyist, bizarre, sclerotic kind of dead thing that is not about who's actually got the best ideas, but about you know, who can, can sort of put the latest thing, the latest fantasy that everybody loves, the latest in fashion thing. And the exciting thing is there's actually a huge renegade elite in this country that aren't recognized with Pulitzer Prizes. They maybe don't work within the traditional institutions or the academies, but they're out there making podcasts or writing on Substack, this new subscription website, you know, people like Mike Solana who are out here, you know, actually having new and interesting ideas. Imagine that. And then older, you know, once canceled release, like Charles Murray are out here doing much the same thing with their books and their work. And people are so hungry for it. I mean, it's been remarkable to me. You know, you set out, you're this nerdy little guy, you're like, I'm going to do a podcast about Homer and Machiavelli or whatever. And suddenly, people actually want to listen because it's not that they're, you know, anti, anti-elite or something. It's just that they, you know, they've been, they've been lied to and misled by a, you know, by cronies that just don't actually have their best interests at heart. Absolutely. Well, let's chat. If you can hold on over the break, I'd love to chat sure. a little more about your fantastic podcast, Young Heretics, and the great response you've had to it. We will be back. This is John Gabriel filling in for Seth Liebson here at 960 The Patriot. See you on the other side of the break. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Very happy to have on Spencer Clavin. And we wanted to talk to him about his new podcast called Young Heretics. Why don't you tell our listeners about it, Spencer? Sure thing. Well, I am very lucky in that, you know, I have this wonderful job at the Claremont Institute, which is a think tank out here in California. 
And so, you know, I was able kind of to craft this podcast almost as a passion project. Like, what if, you know, if I had an hour a week to just talk about whatever I want to talk about, like, what do I want to talk about? And and what I ended up deciding is that, you know what I, what I really don't see a lot of? I see a lot of arguing about culture, like whether we should read Shakespeare or whether there, he's too much of a dead white male or whatever. And all, you know, my alma mater with Yale was arguing about this recently. Um, but I don't see a lot of actually reading Shakespeare because we do so much, you know, fighting the culture war that we don't actually get to appreciate Western culture all that much. So the, the show, Young Heretics, is basically the classical education that you're being denied because all of these, you know, woke radicals have taken over the academy and, you know, more and more people are just not getting to read people like Homer and Milton and Dante. And so every every week I just sit down with one of those guys, one of the greats from the West, and unapologetically look at what he or she sometimes has to say. And, you know, it's it's been uh, bliss to find that, in fact, of course, these, these great works do stand the test of time, and they do have a lot to say to our present moment. So, so that's kind of what the show is about. We're rearing up on our 30th episode, and we'll have a, a Thanksgiving special on the Gospels, but or a Christmas special, rather, on the Gospels, of course, but we've done, you know, the, the Pilgrims and Machiavelli and uh, the Book of Isaiah and just any number of other uh, great works from the West. Yeah, and I go back to, um, I kind of got into classics a few years ago, probably like four years ago now, because my daughter was going to a charter school, uh, which was based, you know, on traditional education, a classic education. Um, and I looked at her book list and I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't read practically any of these. I better, I better <laughs> catch up or she's going to be smarter than me and I cannot abide that. But, uh, <laughs> one of the early books I read, uh, was on the incarnation by St. Athanasius of Alexandria. Yeah. And that yeah. really changed my life. But the intro to it was also fantastic by C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. And his quote was, it's a good rule after reading a new book, never to allow yourself another new one. Till you've read an old one in between. And his whole thing was you are going to be – remain stuck in the current culture, whatever the issue is of the day. You know, one year it's Me Too. The next it's climate change. The next it's BLM. Next year it will be something else. And he said you kind of need to clear your mind of that stuff and look at these eternal principles, these great principles. And that's something that your podcast is just fantastic at doing because of your education. You really know your stuff with these books, but also it's opened up. It's not intimidating when you talk about it. And a lot of people are just saying, oh, I guess that isn't reserved for the academy. I guess that isn't reserved for Greeks a couple millennia ago. Instead, it's for me. It was written to me. And that's the thing that amazed me when I started reading classics. I went into it thinking, well, there's like eating my vegetables. I should do it. And instead, I'm like, oh, my gosh, these are a blast. You know, uh, the Iliad, uh, Xenophon's Anabasis, if I'm even pronouncing that correct. But it's like, (laughs) why aren't these movies that are rebooted every five years? These are a blast to read. Yeah, you know, I love your story because it's something that I've heard a lot from, you know, audience members of the show that they're on their, you know, their firemen, their homeschool teachers, they're on their tractor listening. You know, there's just a whole range of people from all walks of life. And what you say is so important that, you know, one of the things that the Academy, unfortunately, is currently doing its best to do is make you feel like you don't have the right to say, 
you know what? Actually, I think you're wrong about how Shakespeare was racist, or I think you're wrong about how you know misogyny affects all great tragedians or whatever. You know, um, people use their credentials. There was a guy on Twitter just the other day. He went on this profoundly laced <laughs> rant. I read you that. Saw this, I <laughs> yeah, about just you know everybody that wants the kids to read the classics is a retrograde idiot. You're all disgusting worms. You know, it's kind of that, that's a what you would call a reductio ad absurdum, right? Yeah. That's an extreme version of something that you see all the time, which is this the people claiming the authority to deny you access to texts that, as you say, are written for you. I mean, we did an episode on Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, which is a great example of one of those books that people come to and they think, geez, you know, this is just so monumental. It's so hard to read. It's complicated. And, and I, you know, who am I to come up against this great monolith? And, saying, you know, the job of a scholar, the actual job of somebody who has spent his life working on this material, as, as I have to date, is, is to say, no, you know what, this is a book about how to live a good life, about how to be good at being human. And, of course, you know, there's a fair amount of intellectual work that has to be done to, like, you know, bring that out of the text and bring it alive. But that's what the show is there to do. And it's crazy that something so simple is also, you know, so in need. There's such a market for it because, you know, the universities aren't doing it anymore. They're just ranting about race and gender and all this stuff. Right. And it just opens up your perspective. And uh, something I think all politicians should read it because – um, you tend to avoid hubris when <laughs> you read these classics <laughs> and just have an overall sense of hum- uh, humility about this because human nature has not changed. That's the amazing thing you see in these classic books that might have been you know, orally told 3,000 years ago. And you're like, oh, I relate to that guy. Oh, yeah, I've met a guy yeah. like that at work. And it's the totally. same issues that humanity is dealing with today they've dealt with forever, you know, questions of war and peace, of life and death, of love and marriage. These are all the human condition. And uh, you're going to get a lot better answers from that than you will, I don't know, from uh, some anti-racism screed by Ibrahim X. Kendi. Oh, yeah. I mean, the quote that you gave at the beginning of the uh, introduction to Athanasius from C.S. Lewis is so important because without reading old books, you leave yourself at the mercy of this atmosphere that now exists, where there are all of these new ideas that have debunked all the old stuff. Well, you know, we now know that it's all just matter, and science has proven there's no God, is a, is a good example. Or, you know, this, the, this racialism stuff, or, or, you know, all morality is relative. And this all presents itself as this new weird thing, this exciting new discovery um, that radically kind of tosses everything before it out. I call this chronological chauvinism. Yes. Everything was dumb before, like, 1950. But in fact, the minute you start pulling on one of these threads, you find out, oh, no, Herodotus wrote about <laughs> questions of moral relativism, right? I mean, he knew about these, these, these issues of human nature held up against, you know, the, the grand sweep of history. And there's, there's so much sophistication and sort of wit and just wry approaches to all of the questions that we think of as kind of daring and edgy and radical. If Brown X Kendi ain't got nothing on Socrates. I mean, people, you know, people, people kind of came up against these questions with, with a great deal of realism and honesty. But there's really, you know, there, there have not been many great innovations made um, that, that taught to toss these classics out. Right. There is nothing new under the sun, which is written in a classic of memory source. Where can people find your work, Spencer? And thanks for being on. 
Oh, uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for asking. Anywhere that you get podcasts, so iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, just anywhere, really, Spotify, you can subscribe and listen and leave a five-star review, hopefully, um, and it's called Young Heretics. It is an invaluable resource that you're providing to all of us, and I encourage our listeners to subscribe as well. Thanks for listening. We're going to an ad break now, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel. We do not have a guest until the top of the hour. So if you want to call in and uh, just share your thoughts, the number is 602-508-0960. We're on 960 The Patriot. That's why they have that number. But thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks to Spencer Clavin and also Stephen Cruiser for being on earlier. Uh, yeah, Spencer Clavin, um, he, he's just a young voice that's talking about these issues from a new perspective. And I think in general, you know, I'm increasingly becoming an old fart, get off my lawn type of fellow. I was get off my lawn when I was 20, I think. So I'm finally uh, reaching the correct age for that kind of uh, perspective on things. But it's just good to have a fresh look at politics um, because the people in D.C., they've been just doing the same thing forever and ever and ever. And that's one thing that everyone on all sides, even if they hate Trump, should appreciate about Trump is that he just messed up the system. <laughs> he shook the Etch-A-Sketch and uh, got some new things done. Uh, we're talking peace in the Middle East. Um, when he was first elected in 2016, I was nervous because he didn't have a big track record. It's like, gosh, I hope he doesn't stumble into war. He stumbled into peace instead. You have all these countries throughout the Middle East making agreements with Israel, uh, United Arab Emirates. You have Saudi Arabia's coming on board, Sudan. All these various countries are saying, hey, we want to get with these guys because they're on the good side. And Iran is the baddies that are threatening us every other week. So he's just doing things with a fresh perspective and kind of a no BS attitude and just going in there and changing things. And I think that's been very refreshing. Something that's going to be very difficult for Biden to do. He has all these old hacks in with all these old failed ideas. I don't know how they push back against this stuff because the American people like it. We are very happy we are not in a new war in the Middle East. Um, one of Biden's advisors that he promoted, he's the one who basically cornered Biden into voting for the Iraq war years back. And he was furious at Obama for not sending in tons and tons of troops to Syria. Uh, really, that would have went great for us. And uh, these foreign policy mavens who are just, you know, hanging out, have their sinecures at fancy think tanks in D.C. and then go back to the government when a Democrat is back in power. These people have just been wrong again and again and again. Uh, when Trump recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. What was it going to be? World War III. Guess what happened? Nothing but more peace in the Middle East. When I don't know if you remember this, but maybe a year and a half ago, Trump pulled out a group of troops from Syria and northern Iraq that were there to protect the Kurds. He's like, look, we got rid of ISIS, which Trump ended ISIS, basically. He says, we got to get them home. You know, this is crazy. We don't need to just stand around here and be targets. Um, once again, these foreign policy geniuses on the right and left said, oh, my gosh, it's going to be World War III. Where have we heard that before? What happened? That story was dropped over the weekend. Nothing happened. The Kurds were fine. They can defend themselves. They're tough dudes and they can protect their borders. And we just see this happening again and again. 
when Trump took out at the very beginning of 2020, took out Kasim Soleimani, the Quds Force leader of Iran. What did people say? World War Three. Uh, I'm getting a little tired of this World War Three rhetoric, but that's what they always jump to. What happened? Nothing. We greased a horrible, horrible human being who's killed tens of thousands of people, if not more, and wanted to kill a whole lot more. He wanted to kill Americans. He wanted to kill Israelis. He wanted to kill any Muslim who happened to be in the crossfire. He was an evil monster, and now he is no more. Uh, so again and again, these people have been wrong. And if people want institutions to thrive once again, you have a lot of very conventional thinking Republicans who say, hey, we really need to get back to institutions and have stronger parties and have stronger institutions. Uh, look at the polling. Gallup does polling every year on uh, American trust and in institutions. But the highest one is the military. Everybody else is lower every single time they take this poll. It's just people don't trust them. And it's not because the people are wrong. It's because the institutions have failed repeatedly and they have no humility. Therefore, they're not teachable. They don't learn from their mistakes in the past. They say, well, let's just try that again. Let's just keep doing the exact same thing, expecting different results, which, of course, is the colloquial definition of insanity. And that is what Biden is going to try to push. And I don't know how, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. Pandora has opened her box and good things are coming out. And he's going to be, have a very tough time trying to reinstate things like focusing on the Palestinians instead of supporting Israel, um, giving billions of dollars of cash and pallets to the Iranian government. Uh, the world is different now that Trump has been in for four years. And you, you can't reel that back in. The world is different. The world is new. And uh, if these institutions want to thrive, we need some fresh thinking. We're going to be going to a quick ad break, and then I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Filling in for Seth today is John Gabriel here on 960 The Patriot. Uh, very happy to be on with you Chatting on a Friday, hopefully you're wrapping up work for the week, maybe heading home, maybe just uh, turning off the Zoom meeting at home already where you've been working all week and uh, just trying to catch up on the news and ease into a nice relaxing weekend. Well, on Twitter, someone, a uh, listener to KKNT said, hey, help, let's talk about keeping Arizona schools open. Teachers union, I'm quoting here, teachers unions, et cetera want to shut all the schools down. They use their kids as bargaining chips to get more money before they will open them. Yes, I completely agree. Uh, the teachers' unions have been revolting in this. Uh, technically, in Arizona, they are not called unions. They are called associations, but it's the same people who passed this ridiculous Proposition 208 um, because they wanted to funnel more money into the teachers' unions rather than into the classrooms where the money belongs. Instead of giving raises to teachers, they want to give raises to the 50% of school personnel who are administrators and hangers-on and union organizers. That's who they wanted the money to go to. So they're trying to punish the rich by doing that. All these people who fled California um, because of the confiscatory taxes, they are uh, messaging me regularly saying, what on earth is going on in the state? Am I going to have to move to Texas or Florida or somewhere else? Um, keeping schools open is absolutely essential. Uh, the left loves to praise Europe. Oh, they're so sophisticated. They're so visionary. You know what they haven't done at all? Closing schools. They are not closing schools in Europe 
because they know it's insane. It makes no sense. And I guess the teachers unions aren't as politically motivated out there as well. Uh, kids, the, one of the miracles about this horrible pandemic is that kids are nearly immune from it. That's wonderful. That's a great thing. Problems we've had in the past, say polio in the 40s, uh, before that Spanish flu. Kids were highly at risk for these things. But our kids are resilient when it comes to COVID, and they should be back in school. And teachers can take all the precautions they want. They don't need to be, they're hugging the kids. It's very easy to teach a class while maintaining social distancing. And, you know, I am the parent of a special needs child who's in school, a charter school, who has been great at handling this stuff. Um, thankfully, it's worked out very well for my child. A lot of parents of special needs kids. Kids, you know, they might have autism. They might have physical disabilities, other challenges, learning uh, issues that they have. Um, they're not getting the help they need. Many of them cannot sit down for a Zoom call. I, I heard these crazy stories of parents whose children are just in um, – they were enrolled in kindergarten and they expect them to sit there for eight hours in front of a flipping Zoom screen. It's madness. It's insane, especially in the early grades. The main thing that uh, schools teach is socialization, is just kind of the basic rules of school. You go, you get there on time. You sit down in your seat. You know, After 10 minutes, maybe you get nap time, whatever it is, but it's just getting them used to the environment. What we're going to have if these schools remain closed, as they have in many states and unfortunately are too prone to do here in Arizona, you're going to have a lost generation of kids. Uh, I think of if you saw the Avengers movie where half the population of the universe was wiped out and then they were restored and five years later, all these people who had vanished – we're now back in school after a five-year break, and that's what it feels like. That's what we're putting these kids through, punishing them, because you have a few people who, I'm sorry, teachers are essential workers, and you have a few of them, and they're union bosses, despite many teachers wanting to come back, wanting to help out the kids. That's why they are teachers. You have these union bosses punishing children, punishing these teachers, and definitely punishing parents as well who need their kids to learn. Uh, they are losing years in education, and it's causing all sorts of psychological issues. Um, life is not intended. The goal of life is not to avoid a virus, and that's what really drives me nuts about this. It's, this, uh, it's kind of the burgeoning of this whole, I call it the bicycle helmet culture. When my kids, a few years back, when they started riding their first bikes, everybody said, okay, be sure you get a helmet for them. And I said, no. And so I remember some of their teachers saying, why aren't they wearing a helmet on their bike? I said, because I don't want them to. And they said, why? And I, my brilliant reason was they'll look like a dork. That, <laughs> that was my reason. But behind that was, oh, my gosh, me on a bike as a kid. All right. I was – I would have been on a riddle and drip. I was so ADHD. But back then, they didn't give you drugs. So I worked it out through activity. And we lived in North Phoenix. At the time, it was the edge of the desert. Now it's probably considered Central Phoenix. But we would be making ramps in the desert and jumping over piles of prickly pear cactus. We were insane. We would do all these stunts. You know, Evil Knievel was big. And we would just do these crazy stunts. And we would crash half the time we did it. And we would get you know, bruises. And yeah, I did break my arm one time, but I didn't, I don't know anybody who like broke their head open and died by this. Instead, we learned, okay, what's pushing too far? What's safe? What isn't safe? 
but we also learned risk assessment. This is a basic part of life. Like I had said earlier in the show, um, I'm not running around terrified of COVID because, first off, I might get it. I might not, but I also might be killed in a car accident when I drive every single day, driving kids around, driving to and from the studio here today. Everything is risk assessment, and you can do things to mitigate the risk of COVID as you can with everything else, but keeping safe is not the purpose of living. You know, you got to get out there and live your life, and, you know, my father was in a nursing home. He passed away about a year and a half ago, been home for about four years of memory service, a memory care facility, and he, you know, it was one of those things I was almost... I'm almost thankful that he passed away before this COVID stuff happened. And it makes me feel horrible to say that. But thinking of him being locked in a room, being unable to see his children, being unable to see his wife, being unable to see his pastor and other visitors who were there for him, who weren't, he would not have been able to see these familiar faces. That's what life is about, relationships and the government is stealing these away from people. My daughter is really into singing. Uh, this is my older daughter. She's uh, just started at college. Beautiful singer. And she had a great opportunity to go to a local um, ex- uh, extended life care kind of facility to sing to the people there, the patients there. And I was like, this is the greatest thing. I'm so proud of you. You're doing this. This is going to be great. They said one parent can attend. So I brought her there. She was all ready to sing. What happened? She was on a stage. I was, gosh, probably 30 feet away in the audience area, and no one else was allowed in the room. Instead, all the residents watched on their TVs in their rooms while they're lying on their hospital beds watching a Christmas song being sung. And I just thought this is the saddest thing I have ever seen, Uh, you know. Especially if, if I'm, say, 92 and I think I only got a couple of years left, I'm going to want to live my life, not hide from a virus that might or might not get me. Uh, there's far more to life. Uh, there's love to give to grandkids. And the government has to back off when it comes to lockdowns, especially when it comes to our kids in schools. Hey, we're going to be going to another break. And then we will be coming back uh, just a few minutes, talk a few ads, and then we'll take a call. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You're listening to Gordon Lightfoot, one of my dad's favorite. Um, he grew up on the shores of Gitchigumi, uh, where the Edmund Fitzgerald sank. So uh, he always loved that song. And Carefree Highway was his favorite road to drive down since we lived up in North Phoenix. We have a caller on who I actually know, Becca Lower. She writes for Town Hall. Welcome to the program, Becca. Well, thanks so much, John. Uh, it's it's good to talk to you on the radio. Yeah. You don't always get to do that. <laughs> and to be clear, I work for townhall.com. I actually work at Red State. Oh, so. gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> you know, you got you to cover all your bases. You had the <laughs> cruiser on earlier. Very important. Everyone absolutely should read his morning briefing. Exactly. I, I could not uh, encourage people more. Uh, you will laugh. You will go through every emotion. Uh, it's, you know, what can you say? Well, that's fantastic. Well, what have you been writing about lately? We got about, uh, maybe three minutes, but. No, no, that's no problem. <laughs> I actually, um, just saw something that was published and I thought it might be interesting to the listeners, uh, because you know how these, uh, these organizations do on a Friday. It's kind of a, a surprise on a Friday, you know, kind right. of things out there. 
the CDC, now this is according to uh, Sinclair News, uh, I'm sorry, broadcast group, CDC has new recommendations. And I'm just, I, I need a little input because I don't fully understand at least one of them. Uh, universal, they recommend universal mask wearing indoors and outdoors when you can't socially distance. Kind of, okay, I get that. Number two, in your own home, wear a mask if someone has potentially been exposed to COVID. I'm a little iffy on that one. <laughs> Number three, potentially, I like that. Right. Three, don't go in non-essential indoor spaces. Now, I have no idea what that means. Yeah. What's a non-essential? That's a new. They're just making it up at this point. Yeah, completely. And yeah, anywhere I happen to be walking into that moment is essential to me. So it, that's, it that's how I'm handling their definition since they're not going to define what on earth it is. Um, the no panic idea. over this has just been ridiculous. And, and maybe I'm just... I don't know. I read too much history or something, but you always hear about like World War II with the London bombing and the stiff upper lip. We need a little stiff upper lip in this country, darn it. Absolutely. Um, so before you have to go, I hear music playing as you are yeah, going yeah. through commercial. Uh, um, so you can read me at redstate.com. I encourage people to get a VIP, uh, get VIP for, uh, many of the areas on red, on, uh, town hall. You can see cruiser has special things. Uh, but if you do want to go Red State 1, the promo code is Becca. For, yeah, use the promo that. code Becca, and Save yeah, you'll money. get a great deal on that. She lives uh, mm-hmm. out in the East Valley with me. So thanks so much yep. for calling in, Becca. Great stuff again. Thank you so much. Have a, thank you for having me. Have oh, a good you night. bet. And thanks. we will Bye. see you guys after the top of the hour break.